You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. got your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and I'm reading from verses 18 to 22. Matthew 4 and verses 18 to 22. And we're going to turn after that to the book of Luke and just going to compare the stories in each of the Gospels. There's an accounting of this particular story that I don't want you to miss. Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, just look on with the the person next to you. I'm sure they're going to share. You might have to enlarge the text a little bit. Point it out to them. I can't see it. Open it. Make it bigger. (laughs) I'm getting old. (laughs) Are you ready? Matthew chapter 4. And this is verse 18 to 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, you notice that word? At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately, see those words again, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 5, reading from verse 9 to 11. Luke chapter 5, verse 9 to 11. While you're turning there, this is the accounting of the story where Jesus is being followed by thousands of people. He is right now the most popular speaker in Israel. He would fill stadiums in today's equivalency, but they didn't have stadiums back then. He was outdoor preaching, and the masses were pressing in on him by the, by the, sea, by the lake of uh, Sea of Galilee. And so he ends up climbing into their boat, and he says, can you push out so I can preach? And using his voice to project on the water, he's speaking to thousands of people. He's not met them yet before. And he begins preaching the gospel, and after he finishes preaching as a way of thanks, he says to them, cast your nets on the right-hand side of the boat. And they're, they're like, you know, scratching the head saying, this guy's not a fisherman. We've been fishing all night and we threw our nets over the side and we didn't catch a thing. We're actually just sort of uh, nursing our wounds here because we got to go empty handed back home. But Jesus said, just cast your net. And he said, bring your boats and cast the net according to the King James Version. But they only took one boat. That was just Peter. He throws his net out there. And the catch was so big, the nets were about to rip. And the boat was about to sink. So he has to call his other friends to come out and bring their boat. And now together, they barely made it back to the shore. There was that much fish. At this, Peter says, I'm an unclean man. I recognize, is what he's saying, I recognize I'm in the presence of something greater than me. I recognize that I'm in the presence of a prophet never seen before in Israel. In fact, I recognize the fact you are greater than a prophet. You are Jesus. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one of Israel. Look at verse 9. For he, and when he says, I'm unclean, he says, for he and all his companions were astonished 
at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The call of Jesus is, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. I, I'm, I don't know if I'm the greatest at following. I remember when uh, I was in the States, and uh, I was in my third year in uni. I'd just gotten myself a car. It was a Honda Prelude. It had one of these moon roofs and sun roofs, and you press a button, and zzz, pops out. Yeah, well, the cars are cheap over there. I remember traveling on I-95. I got to know it really well. Eight lanes on one side, eight lanes on the other side, 16-lane highway. You can barely tell if you're turning. You're actually turning a curve. You can barely tell because it's so wide. You're just turning slightly bit. I used to roll down the, the open the moonroof and the sunroof, and I'd be traveling. I know it's dangerous, but at the time, it was worship for me. I'm leaning back in the car, got my fingers on the steering, looking up. This is the most amazing thing on the planet. This is incredible. It's amazing. And I lost track. I was supposed to be following someone. I'm supposed to be following their car. We're headed for Virginia. And we're supposed to be taking this exit. I can't remember the exit. It was like exit 40. I don't know if you guys remember. Exit 40, something like that. So I'm traveling on I-95. I was supposed to be following the car. I lost sight of the car. And I'm thinking, I, I know the exit was exit 40. And I finally take exit 40. This is nighttime. I end up in West Virginia. How can I get, how can I end up in West Virginia? I'm sure I got the right exit. This is the days before, ladies and gentlemen, I know. The days before mobile phones. Some of the kids are like, what? No, no, mobile phones have always been around. The days before mobile phones, you had to go to a phone booth if you're in trouble. If you're out and about, you're not at home, find a phone booth. And I'm running out of gas. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I'm so lost. I finally was able, I prayed. I said, God, you're going to show me a petrol station. I'm in trouble. I finally found a station, filled up, and I went back. There's no way of contacting them. I thought, I've got to retrace my step. I have to go past the exit, come back again. And this time I recognized what it was. There was exit 41 east and exit 41 west or north and west. And I took the north one or whatever the not west one was. I'm supposed to go to West Virginia. <laughs> Who knows, right? I mean, why would you have, why don't you just call it another number? That's what I would be doing. But I didn't follow well and I got lost. And the question I want to ask you today is who are you following? We are overloaded with content today. We've got the internet now. We've got all the content on our smart devices, which we can Bluetooth sync to our phones and listen to messages. We can listen to sermons and teaching. We can listen to worship. Yet none of these things have resulted in radical change that activates the church to reach the lost. There's a problem that we have and we don't address this and we sweep it under the carpet and we don't recognize that Jesus, when he said, follow me, he didn't finish with just follow me. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It wasn't a statement that ended with just follow me. What he's saying that is the result of following Jesus is meant to create fruit in your lives. The result of following Jesus is meant to cause you to become fishers of men. And yet in the church today, we're trying to put on the best program we possibly can. We're trying to entice you. We're trying to entertain you. We don't. 
We're trying to, I'm just saying we as a church try and do this. And by the way, we love doing that. I mean, I, I used to sing. I used to go around, you know, doing, doing gigs. It was great. So I love the sing. I love the worship. I love the music. I love the lights. It's just great. It's fun. I love to worship the Lord. If I didn't have it, I'd do it anyway. But it's for your sake. It's for the people out here who don't, have never experienced Jesus before. We want them to experience him for the first time and remove every distraction to make it as easy as possible for them to connect with Jesus. But the call remains for us. Will you follow Jesus? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. From fishing fish to fishing for people, following Jesus is a higher calling. You're not meant to be the same. And yet we find that there are many Christians in the church today, they were the same today as they were yesterday, and they make no plans at all for change in tomorrow. I remember a time in the past when we would preach about sanctification and change in our lives, but even that was not enough. There's meant to be significant change, but we're meant to do something with that. When the, these they would become disciples, when these fishermen, they weren't disciples yet, when these fishermen had the invitation from Jesus, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They weren't thinking like you and I were thinking. When I'm thinking fishing, I'm a lousy fisherman. You know, I, I, I can remember twice in my life fishing. The first time, it was my auntie's friend and she wanted a chaperone, so she asked, could Paul come along? So I went along, it was like grade three or four, and this guy was trying to impress this girl, you know, and be really nice to me, so he gave me a fishing rod. He says, okay, just chuck it as far as you can, as far as you can, as far as you can. So I did, with all my might. I took that stick, and the hook caught in his cheek. <laughs> and I'm pulling. I saw going. <laughs> He's screaming. And it was the most magical moment. She didn't end up with that guy, by the way. It didn't end up that well, that particular journey. Anyway, there we are. That was my first experience. The second experience, I'm telling you, this is a lousy fishing experience. Don't even ask me to go fishing with you. I went fishing one this other time. It was a it was a young adult thing. We got these young adults together, went on a camp. We were on this beach. It was the most amazing thing. I actually got the fishing line out of the reel without catching someone's face. But while I'm checking this thing, the seagulls are eating the cat, the fish, the bait, the hook while it's in the air. I mean, how is it possible? I am such a lousy fisherman that I can't understand or relate to what the disciples are thinking. But the disciples, they're thinking like this. They had just caught one of the biggest catches they've caught in a long time. They came out of a season of nothing the night before, and this morning, all of a sudden, there was a catch so big, it required two boats to try and bring it in. It's at that moment that they realized this is something different. So when Jesus said, follow me, instead of fishing for fish, you're going to be fishing for people. They realized he wasn't talking about just one or two. I remember a vision I had. We were uh, the Lord asked me to start a midweek service. I was an associate pastor at a church. And let me tell you, it's a scary thing when you're starting something new, when you're pioneering something. It's scary. So I had people come alongside me, just great men of God that I trusted that we could pray with. And in, in our church at that time on the north side, we were going through a season of 24-7 prayer for two years, 24-7 prayer. People would be in the, in the, in the church hall. We've, we ended up having to install a uh, numerical, uh, sorry, a, uh, a code, key code for people to get in. And so they'd get in. They'd be there for two hours at a time. 
That usually, you know, one hour is a minimum. People would do two hours, sometimes four hours. They'd pray there in the middle of a week, a work week, two to six a.m. in the morning. They'd be praying. They'd put their name down. So I'm there with these guys. We are praying for hours. And then the Lord gave me this picture, and I saw a picture of it was a black trident. And another vision, it was catching fish. And I saw another picture of a black net catching all these fish. And I'm a bit troubled by this because black is only bad, right? So I said, Lord, what, what's, what's going on with the black? Why, why the black? Okay, well, firstly, why the trident? The Lord says, you're going to catch more than one fish. Because the trident is more than one. It's not one spear. It's more than that. You won't miss, is what the Lord was saying. I said, well, what about the net? Oh, why is it black? Because in this vision that I saw, as this net came up, it was like this picture. It was overflowing. It was so full that the net was about to break. And inside these net, it was like the fish that you'd see in the barrier reef. You're talking purple fish and, and yellow fish and blue fish and pink fish and yellow fish. It was all the colors of the rainbow you can imagine. It was so beautiful in this vision that I saw. But the net was black. Why is the net black, Lord? He said, because it's not about you. It's about the fish. It's about what I'm catching because my love and my concern is for the fish and and you are part of what I'm using to bring the fish in. It's not about you. But this journey that we had to go on was going to be something that was going to cost me something. I realized that I can't remain the same as I am. I realized it's going to cost me in prayer. It's going to cost me in fasting. It might even cost me in finances. It certainly cost me in my time. But the point that I understood is your life changes as a result of following Jesus. I want to ask you this question. Is your life changing? Has your life changed as a result of following Jesus? Because it's supposed to. The Bible tells us that Jesus will say that every branch that does not bear fruit will be cut off and be thrown in the fire. In fact, the Bible says when when you are fruitful, he'll still cut the branches, but that's called pruning instead. Pruning so that you grow even more fruit because there's an expectation in the kingdom that we are bearing fruit. This year, our vision is to go and make disciples. And we started knocking on doors in December, but next month, we are going to be knocking on doors all across this, this city, Red Bank Plains. It's massive. It's like a city. It's one of the largest suburbs in Queensland. I think someone said even Australia. It's the largest. Can you believe it? Red Bank Plains. And it's still growing. There's more houses going up, yet we have not touched the houses in this area. And I'm thinking to myself, God has planted us here for a reason. We've got fish. We're the nets. We're supposed to be bringing them in. And and I want to see change in my life. I want to see fruit in my life. I don't want to stand before Jesus one day and he's thinking, you did not bear fruit for me. Oh, but I said the sinner's prayer, Jesus. I repented, but you didn't do what I asked you to do. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. There was a lot at stake in following Jesus. It was an emotional moment for these disciples because he's only giving them one chance. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they're thinking, but I got a business to run. I got a family to look after. How am I going to feed them? I mean, Jesus, is there a salary? Do I get a health plan to go with that? You know, what are the perks in following you? Who's going to look after my family while I'm gone? Who's going to follow them? Who's going to be there for these kids? Who's going to be there for my wife? It's emotional when you choose to follow Jesus because you're thinking something is going to cost. It will cost you something, but you gain everything. 
You can't follow Jesus and expect nothing to change. From fishing fish to fishing people, it's a higher calling. It's, it's something else than what you were meant, to, what you think you're designed to do. God has better things in store for you. See, that's why people stop following Jesus. I'm uncomfortable with this change, God. You never told me it'd be this hard. Look at what's happened to me. My friends have left me. I've had to change my career. I was talking with someone outside this morning, almost got in trouble because uh, a client complained that he was preaching about Jesus. And I was saying to him, wouldn't it be the most amazing thing when heaven recounts the fact that you stand in the presence of God, this guy was fired for preaching about me and all of heaven cheers. Yes. He was like, I wasn't feeling that great on the day. Yeah, you probably wouldn't, but heaven was cheering. Why are we so scared? Serving Jesus is one of the greatest things that you will ever do with your life. And you can't follow him without expecting to change because he has to radically change you. Because all you, they've been doing up to that point in time is fishing for fish. It's, it's a similar principle, but fishing for men is going to be different. I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you into something else. Don't stop in the middle of change. Don't give up while you're still in process. Understand you are unfinished. You are not done yet. You are undone. You don't pull the cake out of the oven while it's still rising. Keep it in the oven until it's done. Once you tap the person next to you and say, I'm still not done. Turn to the other person and say, neighbor, I am undone. I'm underdone. But we give up what was still in the process. And of course you're looking ugly. You're still changing. There's still rough edges going on. Oh my goodness. You don't turn to the person next to you and say you're ugly. Just say you're pretty at Jesus. You don't just tell them you're cute. You're cute. All the singles, go ahead and do that. You're cute. Cute means ugly with potential. <laughs> next time someone says, you're cute. They're actually saying you're ugly, but you got potential. <laughs> It is a scary, exciting, adrenaline-pumping, wide-eye-opening journey into the unfamiliar when you follow Jesus. You cannot imagine the circumstances he will lead you into. I'm telling you, as God is my witness, I'm a testimony to this. The things that God has asked me to do is like, I can't do that. God says, you're going to do it. Did you say you're going to follow me? Yes, Lord. I want you to do it. I remember the first time when God, when I was getting closer to Jesus and I hadn't been a person who gives to the Lord financially, right? Because I, I know, I'm sorry, I am a pastor's kid. That's the way I was. But I thought, until you show me in the Bible, Lord, why I should tithe and give 10%, come on. Show me in the Bible. And once he did, now I'm stuck. <laughs> I told him, you show me and I got to do it. Now I got to do it. Lord, how am I going to survive? How am I going to make ends meet? And I began to believe in faith. This is what it's about. I'm trusting him that he's good. You see, when we don't trust him, it's because inherently we're believing that he's not good. That he's going to fail you. That if I trust him with my finances, if I trust him with my time, what is it going to amount to? What is it going to cost? I'm going to lose everything. Jesus said that no one who follows me will, will, uh, uh, will fail to inherit more in this lifetime and in the lifetime to come. You should be giving a hand to the Lord for this one. You will not lose 
But we think within ourselves, I'm going to lose something if I follow him. I can't follow him. It's too much. He will lead you into the unknown. He will lead you into the unexpected. Your identity will come under attack. Your safety will come under attack. Your comfort will come under attack. Your desires take second place to his desires. And pleasing him becomes more important than pleasing yourself. That's what following Jesus is about. Jesus will reveal your weaknesses. Boy, I hate that. I know you start growing in the Lord. I start obeying him. He does the uncomfortable things and does the surgery of the heart. And I'm beginning to change. I'm metamorphosizing. I'm becoming more like him. I'm being transformed in his likeness and image. And just when I think I'm made, this is awesome. He points out another character flaw in me. It's like, oh, God. I'm still so far short of the glory of God. And just when you think you mastered that, you go back to the beginning. And the beginning stuff you made a mistake on, you do it again. And he still forgives. He will show you your hidden faults. He will correct you when you are wrong. Thank you, Jesus. He will put you in a situation where you got to come up with the solutions. If you're wondering, is, is it just me? He did it to his own disciples. 5,000 people followed him that day. They had not had a break. They had not eaten in days, the disciples. And these people followed them. Jesus says, you go feed them. Well, hang on, Jesus, we just told you what the problem was. We said they're hungry. <laughs> Send them home so they can feed. You're telling us to feed them? We can't feed them. It's going to cost at least a year's wages to feed 5,000 men. They only counted the men plus their wives and their children. It could have been 12,000 people. How do you feed 12,000 people? And even if you have the money to buy it, you've got to go looking for a baker. They're shut. How are we going to feed all this many people? But the Bible says Jesus already knew the answer. But the, he put them in a situation, in an uncomfortable situation, to see, to test what is in our heart. I remember the story of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. It's an allegory. Allegory, sorry. Allegory. Of, of spiritual truths, where Aslan the lion is actually Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The word Aslan is Turkish for lion. And Lucy, human being, walks through a wardrobe. This is a kid's dream. Walks through a wardrobe into another world. And they're, they're exploring this world. She comes across this character called Tumnus where she's hearing the stories about Aslan does this, Aslan does that, Aslan's coming, Aslan this, Aslan that, Jesus this, Jesus that. And she says, is Aslan safe? And Tumnus replies, no, Aslan is not safe, but he's good. I want to tell you, Jesus is not safe, but he's good. <laughs> when we fail to recognize when choosing to follow Jesus, we have to remember that he's good. It's going to work out for good. He already knows the outcome for your life. And you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And you're thinking to yourself, I have no hope. I've seen this happen before in my life. And I'm going down. And it feels like this train won't stop. And it's going to end in disaster. I can see the railroad tracks are out in, in, in the future. But the Lord has a plan. The Lord has a purpose for your life. And will not end in disaster. 
Jesus will change directions when you're following him. Just when you think you worked at all, oh, we're going this way. He goes, no, we're going that way. And you've got to change direction. And just when you get comfortable there, he moves it again. And when you think it's supposed to be moving, he stops and you've got to stop with him. And then when you want to stop, he says, come on, it's time to go again. It's like, make up your mind, Jesus. Don't you know where you're going? We question these things. Don't you know where you're going? Don't you know how to lead me? It's a safer journey if we just go from A to B. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Jesus isn't about the straight line. Because it isn't about the destination, it's about the journey. You can recognize who God is. A lot of people do that in our prayer. Holy Spirit shows up. He's hit them really hard. I try and paint the picture. If you've got the butterflies in your stomach, you know. Holy Spirit's moving on you right now. You're feeling something is different. You're feeling even your mind. You're starting to change. You're starting to see differently. It's the Holy Spirit upon you right now. But confessing that he is Lord is different from following him. You can recognize who God is. Even the devils do that. But it's not enough to follow Jesus. Jesus isn't going to drag you moaning and wailing behind him. All you parents, remember when your kids were small and they want to go down the toy aisle. They say, Daddy, Daddy, I want to go play with that ball. Can we go play that ball? No, so I'm going to show you something else. Daddy, Daddy, look, we've got the bicycle eye hill. Can I just go see the bicycles? I just want to see the bicycle. Oh, Daddy, I just want the bicycle. The fighting you you're trying to bring them along. So you say, Son, I got something better for you. Oh, what is it, Dad? You got to follow me and I'll show you. But we, we do the same thing with Jesus. He's trying to show us something. But Lord, this is good. It's good pasture. I look at it's that you know you you lead us, you leadeth me beside quiet waters. There's quiet water here. Why do we have the quiet water here? Because I got better water in store for you. Follow me. Jesus is looking for people who are hungry. If you're good enough, if you're full, Jesus didn't come for you. Jesus said, I came for the sick. I came for the lost. I came for the unhealthy. Healthy people don't need a doctor. It's the unhealthy people that need a doctor. And that's why as a church, we're not spending all our time thinking about, well, of course we preach, of course we minister to you, but our heart has to be for the lost. To see them reconcile with the Father. To see their lives turned around. And yes, God's going to bring healing in your life through the process. God is going to mature you through the process. You're going to fall in love with Jesus more through the process. You're going to become stronger through the process. You will barely be able to recognize yourself through this process. Aren't you tired of the same thing? Over and over and over again. Let me tell you, what makes the Christian walk so exciting is when you go out of your way and make disciples. Tell other people about Jesus. It will transform your world. But you've got to start by following him. He'll show you how to do it. That's the promise. Follow me, and there's an outcome. I will make you fishers of men. 
If you follow me, I'm going to make you into something else entirely. If you follow me, I'm going to transform who you are. You will begin to redefine yourself. In fact, your friends will hardly recognize you. The changes in your life. I hope that you have friends who don't know Jesus. And they'll begin to say, man, you're getting real religious. I ain't religious. I've got relationship. I ain't just doing things because I have to do it. I do things because I want to do it. Because I have a relationship. I love my Savior. I love Jesus. He's turned my life around. Let me tell you about him. Jesus was saying to the disciples, they had just witnessed something they've never seen before. A catch when there shouldn't have been a catch in the middle of the day. Because when you go fishing, you're supposed to go fishing at night. That's when you catch the best fish. And yet in the middle of the day, in an area that had already been casting all night long, and there was nothing, this time when they catch, they've seen a catch larger than they've ever experienced before. The disciples understood. Jesus was saying, you were amazed at what I did here? That? I'm going to show you things that will blow your mind. They hadn't yet seen him walk on water, raise people from the dead, open blind eyes, open deaf ears. But Jesus is about to show them all these things and their whole world would never be the same again. See, discipleship back in the day is different from what we think of it. See, we think of discipleship as maybe you go to a small group or you follow a mentor and you sit at their feet as they teach you stuff. That's not discipleship. Discipleship isn't about going to Bible college or going to university and getting a degree and now I've got a certificate, I've done it. No. The key idea behind discipleship is that you follow the rabbi, the teacher. You learn what they're saying. You memorize what they're saying. And you look at the way they think and you measure it so that in a similar situation, you can think the way that they think. You see, you're supposed to be the essence of discipleship is the art of imitation. That's why Paul says, the apostle, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm worthy to be copied, not me. Paul, he says, I'm worthy to be copied. Because I'm copying Jesus. I'm imitating him. You're supposed to do that. There wasn't such a thing as plagiarism back in that day. You were supposed to plagiarize the works of your rabbi. You were supposed to be exactly like your rabbi. And being invited by a rabbi to be the disciple was tantamount to being invited to a passed over athlete who aspires to be part of the Broncos. Let's go Broncos. All blacks for the Kiwis in the house. All blacks. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, you aspire all your life to be part of the all black team. You aspire all your life to us Queenslanders. Be part of the Brisbane Broncos. But you didn't make the cut. So now you got to go about, get a job and do do something else. But all of a sudden, you get a second chance. You get that letter in the mail. Come today. You've been picked to join the team. That absolutely transforms your world. That's what it was like for these fishermen. They are the rejects. They are the discards. In fact, what a rabbi would normally do is that he would only choose a few select few. They had to be the most highly promising candidates, super smart and capable of thinking and being like the rabbi, the master. But Jesus picked fishermen. Jesus picked a tax collector. They hated tax collectors back then. Perhaps we still do today. 
and they could never understand why did he pick them. The book of Acts tells us that after Jesus had left and they, they did what they were taught to do, they began making disciples, they began teaching. And the Bible says that the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees had them together to question them, and they reasoned among themselves, and they recognized the fact, hang on a second, we're reasoning at this level, but they're supposed to be coarse fishermen. How are they able to reason at this level? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you become more like him. You love like him. You think like him. You reach out for people like him. You go out of your way like him. You're kind like him, patient like him, loving like him. We have sold ourselves out for something inferior. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is saying, you were created for something more than this. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.